0: Is Brian Koberger receiving special treatment? Some people think so. We have a Caitlin Armstrong trial update. Sam Bankman's freed parents visit him post-trial. Does Colorado have a DNA analyst problem like the Massachusetts crime lab scandal, which led authorities to dismiss tens of thousands of drug cases and convictions? And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, leave me a comment, and please hit that little bell because, you know, when we were in the YouTube prison, uh, I think they took us out of the algorithm, and that certainly would help. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your podcasting apps. Now, tonight, although it's a Wednesday, we are going to go live tonight at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. Please join us. We'll be talking about Brian Koberger, Taking all of your questions on anything you would like to discuss, and so please join us. And our Patreon show will follow that as well. All right. So as we approach the one-year anniversary of the uh, Moscow Idaho slayings, that will certainly be a topic of conversation regarding Brian Koberger. All right. Let's go ahead and open the record for November eighth, twenty twenty-three. That's right, next Monday will mark exactly one year from when police discovered the bodies of Kaylee Gonsalves and her best friend, Madison Mogan, as well as Zaina Kernodal and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin. Now, there have been numerous court appearances for Brian Koberger, who entered a plea of not guilty to all of the charges. And when Brian Koberger appears in court, he is dressed out like he's going to a job interview. Pretty unusual. Well, Kaylee Gonsalve's mother, Christy, says that uh, Koberger's behavior and dress in court absolutely makes her sick. She said, quote, it makes me sick that he sits there in his suit and he sits there and taps his little hands. She also noted that uh, she's a little shocked and disgusted that Koberger is not in handcuffs or shackles when he goes to court, or he's not in his little orange suit. Now, Koberger initially attended hearings in a uh, traditional orange jump shoot, but shortly after that, he began wearing a suit and tie to all of the court appearances. Now, obviously, that has to be approved by the court. Now, the Gonzales also represent that they believe that Koberger has been given five suits, video and computer um, access in the jail, as well as special treatment to including his uh, vegan meals while in custody. Now, Let's mention this briefly. Uh, normally, when a defendant goes to a hearing pretrial, they are in the jail garb. Whether it's a traditional green suit, orange suit, or the black and white stripes, they're in the traditional jail garb. It is very, very unusual for a defendant to appear dressed in civilian attire pretrial. At trial, yes. Yes you have to let somebody dress out. I had a guy once that didn't wanna dress out. He wanted everybody to know he was in custody. And we were doing really good for a while until he started spinning around You know, when witnesses were being um, questioned and that he didn't like what they were saying. But anyway, you get the gist. It's unusual. Now, only time I've ever seen, frankly, a, a defendant appear in a suit uh, that's in custody, show up in a suit, well, it turned out to be the Lori Vallow case. So I'll be honest with you, it must be an Idaho thing because most detention facilities, most sheriff's deputies will tell you, man, we don't have the resources to dress somebody out. Well, why is that? It's not like you just hand them a suit and they go through it. The uh, people working at the detention center have to go through it, make sure there's, you know, not a handcuff key sewn in it somewhere. It needs to be stored. And if can you imagine... If everybody wanted to dress out going to court and there's 80 people on the docket, nothing would ever get done. Now, I don't know if, I haven't seen any motions filed to have Brian Koberger dress out because normally you need a court order from the court saying dress this person out for trial. So I haven't seen anything filed, so I don't know why it's done. Maybe it's an Idaho thing, maybe somebody can help me out. But I've never seen pretrial defendants (laughs) appear in court. I've seen occasionally somebody show up for a sentencing because they knew that was really going to be the last time they were ever going to wear a suit or civilian attire again. So, you know, we've asked for it and the judges granted it, but never for pretrial hearings. All right. Now, back to uh, the Koberger matter. Now, FBI agents returned to the crime scene uh, last week, October 31st, as well as on November 1st to conduct Uh, further investigation. Apparently, they're making some sort of 3D demonstration model for trial. Now, as you may recall, Brian Kober was supposed to go to trial in October. Obviously, that didn't happen. And once again, under kind of an Idaho thing, when you waive speedy trial, there's no next, you know, when you waive speedy trial, oh, now we gotta get to trial in the next six months. It can be waived indefinitely. Now, I understand it's a death penalty case, But a year has passed. Somebody needs to get this case going because one, the public, the family, the victims, everyone needs resolution in this case, as does Brian Koberger and his family as well. And remember, I think one can argue that the state, in this case, the state of Idaho in the Brian Koberger matter, has just as much right to a speedy trial as does the defendant. Something to think about. Let me know, do you think Brian Koberger is getting special treatment? We'll tally up uh, the answers and let you know tomorrow. Next on the docket, our Caitlin Armstrong trial update. That's right, the murder trial for Caitlin Armstrong. She's the woman accused of shooting the uh, pro cyclist, uh, Mo Wilson, on May 11th, 2022, continues. And today, the uh, district attorney showed video footage of the victim from hours before she was killed. Now, the owner of the restaurant across from Pool Burgers began testimony Wednesday about surveillance video near uh, Wilson and Strickland, Armstrong's now former boyfriend, as uh, Wilson and Strickland spent the afternoon together on May 11th. Now, Detective Richard Spittler took the stand on Monday but was back uh, during his testimony today uh, to continue and due to a scheduling conflict for uh, the detective. Anyway, his testimony... Uh, we will resume from the point it left off uh, another time so far as he's addressed his work the night of Wilson's murder, as well as questioning of Armstrong's former boyfriend, Colin Strickland, the following morning. Now, during the course of his official interview with uh, Mr. Strickland, uh, Detective Spitler determined Armstrong needed to be brought in for questioning. Now, Spitler said that was due to the combination of of learning of the black Jeep with the bike rack at Strickland's house belonged to Armstrong and the knowledge he gained during the interview from Strickland that there were guns inside the home. The state also put up several surveillance videos that showed uh, what prosecutors say is the Jeep near the murder scene in East Austin. One of the defense's main arguments during opening statement was the notion that none of the videos capture Armstrong herself, just the car. So, like I said, uh, Spittler resumed his testimony Wednesday. He also addressed ballistics, GPS, DNA, and electronic evidence he said he used in his investigation into Ms. Armstrong. Now, Ms. Armstrong's DNA was actually found on Miss Wilson's bicycle that was taken from the apartment and put into the bushes nearby. The detective also said GPS data from Armstrong's Jeep matches with surveillance video of a black SUV with a black rack driving in the East Austin neighborhood and Wilson, where Wilsons was killed around the time of the murder. The state also presented a series of pieces of phone and email records tied to the case. Spittler said uh, he had issued between 25 to 30 search warrants related to this electronic information. We've compiled a list of what the detective said investigators found in those records. Um, they found a recently deleted note from Armstrong's Note uh, mobile application, With the address of 1704 Maple Avenue, Wilson died at 1708 Maple Avenue. A Google subscriber information from Armstrong's records indicating the creation of a new email address days after Wilson's murder. As well as um, emails that were sent. There was an Uber receipt from Armstrong from the home to the Austin uh, Bergstrom International Airport. A Southwest Airlines itinerary email with Caitlin Armstrong's trip written in the subject line. An email about a prepaid uh, visa card addressed to Caitlin. Reservations from a flight from Newark to Costa Rica with traveler information listed as Christy Armstrong. And Armstrong's sister's full name is Christine. Uh, a VPN purchase, a Skype purchase, and information listed in Google as, as it relates to subscriber search folders, records showed searches of English, Spanish translations, and searches for Caitlin Armstrong that yielded news coverage results from May 11th, 2022. Now, Austin police did find uh, Wilson with a gunshot wound at the East Austin home. She ultimately died at the scene, And um, Wilson, who originally was from Vermont, was in town for a race in Texas. Now, police said that Armstrong's Jeep was in the area of the home where the authorities found Wilson deceased around the time of the shooting. On May 14th, there's surveillance video capturing Armstrong at the Austin uh, airport. And on May 17th, the Austin police issued a murder warrant for Ms. Armstrong. She eventually made her way to Costa Rica, where U.S. Marshals found her and arrested her on June 30th of 2022. Police allege that she cut and dyed her hair and had a bandage on her nose, indicating that she had some sort of a nose job as well. The trial will continue and we will continue to bring the updates. I believe the closing arguments will be coming in the next couple of days and we should be able to bring those to you live. Now, next on the docket, SBF. That's right, old Sam Bankman-Fried. (sighs) Ah. I hate to say I told you so, but I told you Sam Bagman Fried was nothing but a con man. And I know we all like to give people the presumption of innocence, hey, I'm a criminal defense attorney. But con men are some of the worst. And let me tell you why. The only other people that can be more manipulative possibly would be, well, sexual offenders. Con men, financial, white-collar crime people always believe that they can resolve the issue with just a little more time, and it's just a big misunderstanding. and if you know, if he had been allowed to fix things, this never would have happened. And as you may recall, when Sam Bankman-Fried testified, what did he say? It was all a big mistake. I didn't know what was going on. He blamed everybody else but himself. Needless to say, Sam Bankman-Fried was convicted of all seven counts of the wire fraud and theft of the $8 billion. But at least you know who Sam Bankman-Fried has standing with him, his parents. And they were visiting their son yesterday at the uh, Metropolitan Detention Center where old SBF is locked up while awaiting sentencing. Now Bankman Fried obviously faces up to 115 years in prison. And his parents, who just happen to be law professors, they're also being sued by FTX, alleging that they profited quite handsomely uh, for helping their son run their crypto empire slash scam. You know, and they were a little emotional in court, probably because their son was found guilty of you know, embezzling $8 to $10 billion of uh, his client's money. And they also know that they're on the hook potentially as well because they were intimately involved in one of the biggest financial frauds in American history. As you may recall, FTX had to file bankruptcy last year trying to recoup millions from the couple, which they say their son awarded them as a cash gifts you know, because, you know, just helping out. Anyway, according to that particular lawsuit, uh, Bankman, the dad, and Freed, the mom, wielded some influence and in status at Bankman Freed's parents, uh, wielded influence in the company uh, to enrich themselves at the expense of the FTX group. Now, as I noted, SBF was convicted of all seven counts, and um, they reached their unanimous verdict in less than five hours. Now, let me tell you why. I have done some long trials, three weeks, four weeks. I think the longest I had was a four-week trial, and it was a guilty verdict in 28 minutes because after that long of time, the jury has a complete time to think about it. They go in there and they say, anybody think he's innocent or guilty? And they decide rather quickly. It's the shorter trials where they think, maybe we should have known much, but when it's a long trial, it's usually so thorough the jury has made up their mind, even though they're not supposed to until they hear all the evidence in the case. But once they do... Well, and doesn't take long. What else is also notable is it goes to another point that I have. Instead of looking at all the evidence and holding the government to their burden of proof, when the defendant testifies, it comes down to, did we like him? Now, I wasn't in the courtroom, but a lot of people that were, and I was watching a lot of real-time stuff on it, said that Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried did not present well at trial. Frankly, did not think he did. I think he convicted himself by his testimony. And also, when you get up there and they completely reject the testimony, sometimes a judge will punish you in the sense in federal court by going to trial because you don't get your acceptance of responsibility points, but they're not going to really hammer you for making the government prove their case. It's your constitutional right. But when you get up and you basically lie, as the court noted, Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried had some interesting answers. He's going to get whacked. Do I think he's going to get 115 years? No. No. But I think he's going to get whacked pretty big. Now, Mr. Sam Bankman, Free's attorney, um, states that uh, he maintains his innocence and he will continue to fight the charges vigorously against him. His uh, sentencing is now set for March of next next year. Obviously, we'll continue to uh, bring you updates as they develop on all SBF, and we'll see what kind of sentence he ultimately gets. Next, does Colorado have a DNA analyst problem like they did in Massachusetts? Remember that? Remember to had that lone analyst that was analyzing drugs, maybe using a little bit, not testing stuff? Yes, irregularities in their procedures. Tens of thousands of cases were dismissed because of her involvement in all those cases. Well, guess what? We don't know for sure, and we're not accusing of anybody of doing anything wrong, but a longtime DNA scientist here in Colorado is facing a criminal investigation over anomalies in her lab work. And guess what? She has testified in court as an expert at least 500 times, including in some of the state's most high-profile cases. In at least 370 of those cases, she testified as an expert in forensic DNA. So, yesterday, the district attorneys across the state We're beginning the process of trying to figure out which of the cases that Yvonne Missy Woods had worked on and testified during her 29 years at the Colorado Bureau of Investigation. And in full disclosure, I've had cases where Miss Woods has testified as it relates to DNA in some of my cases. I am certainly going to be very interested in seeing what the result of this potential criminal investigation may lead. So what happened? Apparently, the CBI, the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, acknowledged the discovery of problems with some of her work and announced that she was no longer employed there and was subject to both internal and criminal investigations. Now, an attorney for Ms. Woods said that she has been a loyal, dedicated, and well-respected forensic scientist within the Colorado Bureau of Investigation for close to 30 years and that she would continue to cooperate in the inquiry. Now, the scope of the allegations about her work has not been disclosed as of yet, and it's not clear if she's actually gonna face any charges. Even as that remains unknown, the challenge to her credentials could lead to calls for a review of an untold number of cases she worked on during her career that began with DNA in its infancy, and obviously it grew in stature, as genetic work became even more sensitive and precise. Well, for example, two of Colorado's most notorious murder cases, the January 1984 hammer killing of Patricia Smith and Lakewood and Bruce and Deborah Bennett and their daughter Melissa in Aurora. Yep, she worked on them. By 1998, investigators in the Bennett case were consulting with Miss Woods about new forensic testing that might move the investigation forward. In 1999, her testing revealed previously unseen semen on a comforter and a piece of carpeting from beneath Melissa Bennett's body. In 2009, her testing revealed for the uh, first time the DNA from the carpeting beneath Patricia Smith's body matched genetic material found at the Bennett's crime scene. In 2018, after a DNA hit identified Alex Christopher Ewing as a suspect in those two cases, it was Miss Woods who conducted the tests that confirmed his genetic profile matched the one found at the two crime scenes. She testified in both of his trials, and Mr. Ewing was convicted in both and is serving consecutive life sentences. Now, I don't know where this is going. I really don't. My interaction with Ms. Woods has always been very polite, very professional, and if something were to be amiss, uh, it certainly wasn't anything obvious that uh, anyone obviously picked up for the last 29 years. So what does it mean? I don't know. We're not accusing anybody. We're not throwing pointing fingers. Everybody's given the presumption of innocence, but needless to say, something took place where she was terminated from the Colorado Bureau investigation and they're looking into it, and it's gonna raise questions. And it means a lot of cases that were probably locked solid because of DNA evidence may now come back in question because of Ms. Wood's work product that she produced in some way. I don't know exactly what it is. But this also raises another issue, in that a lot of times people, juries, really rely upon well, there's DNA evidence. It must be accurate. They're just scientists. They are not um, police agents. They're just they're scientists just doing their work. Let the chips fall where they may. But in another article that I wrote about Ms Woods, it noted that she you know taught DNA to police academies, police officers, uh, district attorneys, and things like that. And my experience is you'll find a lot of these scientists truly believe that they become part of the police team. So instead of being objective scientists looking at what the science is and what the results are, sometimes they think they're on team state and they should be team. (laughs) I don't care what the results are. I'm just producing the results. We'll see where it goes. Like I said, my experience with Miss Woods was always very nice, very pleasant, and I hope, I hope um, there's nothing nefarious that took place. Next, well, this is really bold. Check out this clip. Now, this took place uh, apparently Monday morning at an A.M.P.M. p.m. store in Oakland, and the excavation equipment blasts through the wall with the store clerks barely getting out um, for the crooks start the uh, teardown of the wall. Now, the shop glass was apparently bulletproof, but guess what? Um, Couldn't stop the backhoe. Now, after getting the uh, claw of the backhoe through the wall, the machine then goes after the ATM machine inside. Eventually, the thieves in question put a chain around the ATM machine, and, uh, well, they're off. Apparently, there's about $70,000 worth of damage to the uh, property there. And Of course, when the police arrived, the backhoe was still there, but the alleged um, suspects and the safe. Gone, Bold. Bold, ladies and gentlemen. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. (music) Now, a 41-year-old thief in Maine by the name of Kevin Gray apparently ordered a uh, Uber to a local uh, TJ Maxx shop. And, you know, those Uber drivers sometimes can be very talkative. So he was blabbing to the driver about how he was going to, well, rob the place. So the robber, the Uber driver, uh, dropped him off and um, called the police. The police identified the passenger as Mr. Gray. In addition to being a suspect in a uh, crime committed the previous day, they saw that he had warrants for his arrest as well. When they saw him exit the TJ Maxx and approached him, there was a small foot chase, but they caught him and he was arrested. Now, Gray had um, several uh, sets of prior conviction and bail bond conditions barring him from several businesses in the area. Can you guess why? Uh, That's right. Thefts from those stores. He is uh, facing charges in relation to the theft, as well as possession of drugs, failure to appear on warrants, and other violations of his release. Mr. Gray, you are a dumb criminal of the day. You know, I understand, hey, a guy's got to make a living, right? Guys, guy's got to survive. But rule of thumb is keep your mouth shut. Anything you say can and will be used against you. And uh, you telling the Uber driver that you're going to go rob the place, guess what? That's dumb. And don't rob people as well. All right, Mr. Gray? All right, thanks for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.